You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have a very good show planned for you today. Why do you ask? Because Andy Lynn, CEO of Provoke Solutions, LLC, is our guest today. Andy, welcome to the program. Hi, everybody. So glad to be here. So let's get started with you as the CEO of Provoke Solutions. What was your motivation and why did you decide to join Provoke Solutions? Uh, really good question. Uh, one that um, often gets asked. So, you know, I've stayed focused exclusively in the management and technology consulting industry for my entire career, which is now almost 30 years. And I pretty much held every single role in a typical consulting organization with my last role uh, at my last firm being the chief sales and marketing officer. Um, so when I started to look for other opportunities, uh, I, I joined Provoke for really a couple of reasons. One, I felt like it had a really interesting and solid foundation of clients, services, and history. We've been in business for 21 years. Uh, and it really provided the U.S. market a really different type of offshoring experience. Uh, one that was based in New Zealand um, that would complement our local resources that we have here in the U.S. and North America and to really help us scale. Um, so when you talk about offshoring, people typically think about India, Philippines, and the like. Mm -hmm. uh, but New Zealand, well, that's kind of different, right? And so any business that has been around for that long with a long list of clients like me do had to be delivering what the market needed and delivering it well. So I felt like I was walking into a really good situation as far as the brand and the longevity of the business. And then the second reason was it was just really my next logical next mm. step uh, as far as finding that new challenge and growth area. Uh, my entire career, I've always been looking to continuously challenge myself with something new and different. Um, and this gave me the opportunity to take everything I've learned so far uh, and apply it from a position of really being ultimately uh, the one person accountable for setting the direction, making decisions, and leading Provoke to extend its value from New Zealand uh, all the way over here to the United States. I mean, how could I not take this opportunity? Sounds too good to be true. Let's uh, let's let's dig in a little bit. So, Andy, since since you've been the CEO, I'm wondering from your perspective, what have you learned? And have you made any major or minor pivots in the business model here in the U.S.? Yeah. Um, what haven't I learned is the, the real honest answer. Uh, I've learned so much in the last 18 months. Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that there's really no perfect answers um, and that the art of leadership really comes down to making a call uh, on when you believe you have gathered enough input and data and to have that courage to make a decision and move forward. I think a lot of times, um, you know, I see my peers, I myself have gone through this where you're always looking for a little bit more data. You want to wait a few more days. You want to sleep on it. And like all of it is just an excuse not to make a decision. And in the end, like you really, as a leader, especially as CEO, you got to be able to make decisions. Um, so the corollary to that um, in terms of what I've learned is it's that accepting that no decision is ever going to make everybody happy. Um, so the best I can do uh, is to actually make that decision, do that in as informed and as reasonably possible, uh, and to have a structure where people understand that I did gather their input, I've considered everything, but to move ahead, to do so quickly for the overall best benefit and upside for the organization, right? And finally, just be prepared to pivot and change based on how the decision plays out. 
And so to your question around, well, what major or minor pivots? I'll just start with the minor pivots, like lots of minor pivots for sure. And there's really way too many to talk about in the time that we have, to be honest. But I think the biggest pivot we had to make is understanding that at a strategic and industry level, the different markets that we serve, APAC and North America, um, in a lot of ways, superficially, it looks like we're all trying to solve for the same problem. How do we get to the cloud? How do we do X, Y, and Z with technology? Uh, but when you get down to the priorities and what's considered mission critical here in the US and say New Zealand, that's where the differences really start to stand out. And so uh, as a company, we've had to make sure that our strategy, vision and messaging are consistent globally. But we really had to make the pivot to say our go to market messaging, however, has to be slightly different to account for this one, the different priorities in those different markets. Another major pivot we had to make is to really just collapse the organization um, to be flatter. Uh, when I joined, there's quite a few layers of management, and there were really good reasons for that. Uh, but as we head into the future, uh, the emphasis around speed, agility, being able to make decisions quickly to better serve our clients, that's best served by having an organization that's a little bit more flat. And so we've combined a lot of those functions and combined a lot of those layers in order to do that. And, uh, you know, it's had its challenges, right? Any type of change right. is typically going to be hard. Um, but it's also paid off in that the motions and the conversations, the types of conversations we're having with our customers now are dramatically different and dramatically better. Have you had much opportunity in your role as CEO to get out and talk to clients with your sales background? I would think you're, you have a bias towards that. So absolutely. Almost every day and every opportunity I'm talking to a customer. Um, I think one of the things that joining a company of this size is um, I get that opportunity. I still get the opportunity to be very intimate and close with our customers to really understand our pain points, to understand where we can improve as a service provider. So every opportunity I can, uh, you know, I fly to New Zealand. I try to be there three to four times a year, even here in North America, where I'm a little bit more present. Like I try to find a customer or a prospect to talk to to just better understand how we can serve the market better. Yeah, sometimes those customer listening experiences can lead you into new opportunities or other service offerings. It's just, you know, it's good. To Absolutely. Be, and it's good for them to know who you are, too. I think it builds trust in the company to know who the leader of the company is. So. 100% agreed. So let's talk about Provoke and, and help us to understand a couple things. Who do you help? What problems do you solve? And why do companies choose to use you versus what what might be other options in their mind perfect so at our heart we're a software engineering services company uh, so we help organizations big and small so big as in fortune 10 uh small to early stage startup meaning angel funding or even pre-angel funding um, we typically for the larger organizations engage with it at the office of the cio but more and more we're now starting to engage with the chief digital officer and the heads of lines of business. Uh, so what we're really seeing is this shift in technology decisions, not just being an IT or a CIO uh, sort of world, but that's actually moving closer and closer to the business, which is actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the problems we solve, like we solve problems you know, around helping our clients leverage cloud and modern technology to deliver digital solutions. Uh, and we often do that with a product uh, approach and a product lens versus a project approach. Um, 
some of those problems for our customers is like, hey, they just can't find the talent, right? Like, as you know, tech talent especially is fiercely competitive here. Uh, the big companies tend to suck up all the talent. Um, and so it's really hard finding good engineering talent. Um, so in some cases, we help our customers just place skilled resources to fill certain roles that they have. But where we really shine is when a customer says, hey, I have a set of outputs that I just need to outsource. I don't have the time. I don't have the know-how. I just know I need to get it done. Can you bring in a team and help us solve this problem? And that's uh, 30-year-old applications written in C++ and Power Builder and, you know, really old technology. Like, I want to move that into the cloud. And sometimes that is, uh, you know, just putting it in a container and quote, migrating it into the cloud. So you're not on-prem anymore. You're not in a data center. Mm -hmm. And other times where we really um, kind of demonstrate our most value is how do we take those applications, reimagine them all the way from a user experience standpoint to a process standpoint, and then natively using cloud services to redeploy that application or read uh, and that solution. So giving it a refresh all the way around from the technology all the way to the UX. Um, so that's kind of the problems we solve. And then why do firms choose us? Gosh, you know, I, I think there's really a, a, a number of ways to answer that question. So I think the, the first one is clients choose us because we're an alternative to the really small boutique. We're at about 175 people uh, globally. And you know, when you look at some of these boutiques where they're 10 people, 25 people, you just can't, like clients really can't trust that those sized firms can, can handle and scale tackling the really large and complex programs of work, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they may have a specific expert, but if you need scale, like they just can't meet that. On the flip side, uh, we're also an alternative to the massive globals, right? The Infosys is, you know, name your, your favorite large global services uh, integrator. Um, and they come with their overhead, right? Uh, client partner comes in and makes a visit. They're 500 bucks an hour, okay? Uh, and, you know, they're really just walking around the halls. <laughs> so not doing any disrespect, right? Um, but, and they also have kind of this do it our way or no way at uh -huh. all attitude, right? It really doesn't take into account the differences that our clients have. Um, and then I, I call it backing up the bus, right? Where they literally back up the bus and you'll get 20 to 30 kids straight out of college with one or two seniors. And there's your team to deliver your mission critical project, right? Like hmm. that doesn't feel very good. Um, so by the end of the first day, the first thing I would say is our clients feel our passion and commitment. We're at the right size. Everybody's geared and focused and their project feels like they're being treated like a MVP, like in a VIP, right? Um, and because we're still small enough, as you alluded to earlier, myself and the rest of my C team, like we're really involved from the pitch all the way through and during delivery. Uh, so we don't just disappear like a lot of firms where they saw Andy, they believe in Andy, they saw, you know, my chief delivery officer, they've seen my chief customers from my consulting, my engineers. And then after the pitch, like we never show up again, like we stay involved. We want to make sure they know that their project is as important to them, is as important to us as it is to them. Uh, and then partial way through an engagement. And I think um, this is really the thing that I'm most proud of is whether it's a month, two months or three months and somewhere along the way, when we go and talk to our customers again, the response I get is, I really feel like we're getting so much more value out of Provoke. And so that comes from our culture of really trying to deliver to what I call the spirit of the contract, right? 
oftentimes when people talk contract, they're like focused on the letter. What's the list of deliverables that the contract says we need to do by when and for how much? And I like to coach our teams to say, hey, let's let's look beyond that. Like, what is it that they're really trying to achieve? What's the outcome that our customers are trying to get? And let's deliver to that, right? And so it's really going beyond, above and beyond. So people talk about above and beyond all the time, but it's above and beyond what? And I like to just ground it with, we want to go above and beyond the letter of the statement of work or the above and beyond the letter of the contract. Okay. So I think that's what I'm most proud of. That's why customers pick us is they can sense that passion. They can sense that commitment. Not let them down. We're not going to fail them. And that's why we get chosen uh, oftentimes against some of the big players in the industry. Um, I think your third question was around uh, provoke. Uh, So the the name provoke was born out of being provocative. Uh, We want to provoke our clients into thinking differently, thinking bigger, thinking about what truly matters versus just taking an order and blindly executing and not really thinking about the outcomes or the other opportunities you could take advantage of. Um, We provoke our clients into making decisions faster versus being stuck in analysis paralysis and executing faster so that we can get working software into the marketplace. Like at the end of the day, like what I want people to pick provoke over and we often get get picked for these reasons is we go around and we tell our customers action beats theory. So you can talk Mm -hmm. about theory, build all the models that you want, but action will always be that every single time. Um, And we have, it's built and released software than to never have released at all. Because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you can build software. You can keep saying it's not ready. You keep adding things, but you get zero ROI for working software that doesn't get into the marketplace. So get it out into the marketplace. Don't be scared, right? Any feedback is right. good. So I think this is the kind of messaging that our clients receive. And they, they, they can sense that it's not just the marketing line. It's something that we truly live by. And that's why I think our customers pick us. Yeah, that was... Uh... Excellent tour de force of an answer, Andy. So <laughs> I, I appreciate the thoroughness and being prepared and your hit years of sales background that comes through and how compelling. <laughs> so congratulations on the great job. You know, oh, thank you. You, you. you talked about companies going through digital transformation. I've yep. also I also know we've talked about AI and machine learning. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering from your perspective in this seat, in this company at this time, Yep. How how do you see these technologies aiding or positively maybe impacting not just the Fortune 10s, but the smaller middle market companies and the early stage and startup companies? Yeah, um, I think in a lot of ways, the, the truth is like all of the buzzwords around digital transformation, agile transformation, cloud transformation, uh, even AI, ML, like, you know, some of these technology buzzwords, you know, the truth is a lot of these buzzwords designed by the big firms, the McKinsey's, the Bain's, you know, targeting the large enterprise, right? And this actually just creates FOMO, like a fear of missing out, especially for mid-market, whether you actually need it or not. So what we try to tell our clients, both big and small, is we actually say, hey, stop the transformation madness and just focus on experimentation, right? The playbook that quote worked for Ford if you're GM or Tesla, low chance that it's going to work. Yet that is what some of the bigger firms are pitching to companies. So for us, as a mid-market leader, you get the opportunity to sit back and watch and learn, right? Learn from some of the, the, the steps that they, the bigger companies took that worked that you can scale down and apply to yourself. 
but more important, look at what didn't work and don't make the same mistakes. Because a lot of these things are really public. You could Google and research a lot of this and it's all out there. Um, so how do you, what we really think, I, I really think the mid-market as well as the larger enterprises should think about is, how do you start thinking about solutions that you can take to market in 90 day increments, right? Because um, if you're a mid-market company, like still acting like a small company where the viability of your business is on the line, you don't have a year or two to prove yourselves. You have 90 days to prove that you're doing something different. You have 90 days to go out there and gather data. So if you can kind of think in those terms, um, it really leads to better results without having to take the risk of those big bets, right? Any one of these transformation efforts, I can tell you, starting price tag, five to $10 million. Realistic price tag, probably around $30 million. Mm -hmm. So if you're a mid-market player, like you just it's not a good bet for you to be making. Um, and you know, a lot of these things you're gonna hear around transformation, like you need change management. Well, the minute you need change management, I kind of feel like you're forcing it, right? Like this isn't really being adopted. Like at best, you're cramming it down kind of the fields, you know, sort of throat, and they might be tacitly expressing, you know, expect, uh, accepting it. Uh, and it's really no surprise, right? Because 76% of digital transformations have failed. And that's according to an analyst study. That, that's not my stat. That's a study that you can go out there, digital transformation failure rate, and you'll see all the stats come out. And this isn't from, you know, small groups that just didn't have the money. And that's the exist. Like, these are companies who threw significant money in like GE, Ford, etc. So instead, my advice to the mid-market leader is focus on the problem or the opportunity and focus on the user or the user groups that you're trying to serve. Like those two angles, where that overlaps is where the opportunity is. And then focus on trading a true MVP uh, out the door. I think so many times people say, hey, we're trying to get MVP, meaning minimum viable product. Like what's the smallest sliver of product that we can put out there and get a reaction from the market? And it ends up being layered and layered and layered to it's not really MVP anymore. It's like you could have done that three months ago and put it in market. Mm -hmm. So really be disciplined about, hey, if we have working software, we should put it out to the market and then adjust from there. No model, no pro forma will ever get replaced, uh, will ever replace the truth that comes from the market response. And so you'd rather know after 90 days and 100K whether something is going to work, not 900 days and $10 million that something wasn't going to work. Like that's really what I would advise our mid-market leaders to do. That's great advice. When I wonder if you could, the term digital transformation yeah. may mean different things to different people. So from your perspective, can you just give mm -hmm. us a high level sense for what you mean sure. by digital transformation? Yeah. So digital transformation is really targeted at the older legacy companies where their processes uh, weren't all completely digitized and automated. Um, so a lot, you know, there's an opportunity for manual uh, workflows to be automated and digitized. That's one form of digital transformation. Sure. The other digital transformation aspect is, hey, you were a brick and mortar store and you had hours of, you know, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And then anytime outside of that, you could not take revenue from a customer. So moving to e-commerce and being able to conduct business anytime from anywhere is another aspect of uh, digital transformation, right? And so the mm -hmm. really, really comedic thing about this is for all of the companies that were born into digital, they aren't going under any sort of transformation because they were born into it. Um, and so if you are, and you know, some companies that can see that like Walmart is a great story. Walmart is the one that went from brick and mortar to digital and maintaining both and finding that cross section of both. 
and really giving Amazon something to watch. Like Amazon isn't by de facto going to win this whole thing because Walmart has really stepped up to the plate. Mm. So there is an example of where you can be successful at it. Um, but digital transformation as a, as a term just really encompasses how do you enable all of your users to continue doing business with you or continue to work for you anytime, any place, at any time, any hour so, of the day. And so for a middle market leader, looking around your business and looking at things to use your term that are being done manually yeah. is an opportunity for a mini digital transformation given today's technology and capabilities where you can automate those functions and take some 100%. of the variation out of it, I would think. Oh, 100%. It's just um, I, I have an allergic reaction to the term digital transformation because this is not new. Like uh, digitizing workflow processes occurred 30 years ago when I just got into the business, right? Everybody was right. looking at how do I automate this? How do I automate that? How do I replace laborious effort that has to be having a human doing something tedious or repetitive and automate it? So. Um, if we want to call it sort of a digital transformation opportunity for mid-market, yes. But I would rather not do that because I think it then comes with all of the overhead that comes with digital transformation um, versus just getting to the heart of the problem. I've got some processes I want to automate. I've got some processes I want to make more efficient. How can technology help? And let's go for it. And, and the, and the um, ascension of technology in this space based on what we've just talked about too, is with things like machine learning and artificial intelligence, not only can manual processes be automated, but cognitive processes can start to be automated in a business too, where you're using technology 100%. to replace some brain power. A a absolutely. But you know, one of the things that um, I think AI and ML has been overblown. So again, um, in the 1980s, people were getting artificial intelligence degrees out of college. So again, this isn't anything right. crazy new, right? It's just, again, there's marketing forces that are powerful enough to say this is something <laughs> new. Um, right. And, uh, you know, the reality is, I think so much what's really happening too much now is everybody's going looking for a nail because they have this a a hammer called AI and ML, <laughs> okay? Um, right. And a lot of times when I talk to customers, when you really get down to it, they actually have a data and analytics problem. So applying AI and ML to dirty data, when you don't have that cleaned up, inconsistent data, it's garbage in, garbage out. So if you have right. bad data, your AI and ML is going to spit out bad cognitive processes. So start there. Let, let's like, we're really figure out like, where are you currently? Where's the outcome that you want to achieve? And then if AI and ML is the actual right answer, great. If not, maybe what you actually just really need is a great reporting dashboard. And as long as you have that dashboard, the amount of effort for you to make that human decision is going to be still way cheaper than the cost of training a ML uh, neural network to replace that, right? So it's a case-by-case -case basis. And I think more often than not, we're really going around looking for nails uh, when it's not really necessary. Well, that was really a powerful explanation. And thank you for, <laughs> for, for that. I, I do appreciate it. So um, I'm wondering where you go, Andy, to get yeah. access to other entrepreneurs who maybe aren't in your space, aren't in technology, mm -hmm. but have experiences that can help you grow the firm and stay ahead of your competition. Yeah, um, I think it's a, a couple of um, places I go to. So I know it's going to sound boring and I'm supposed to be a tech guy, but... Um, I truly just read and I read voraciously. 
Um, so like my current book that I'm reading is Patrick Bet David's book called uh, Your Next Five Your Five Next Your Next Five Moves. Okay, really powerful book and really breaks down strategy into something simple and understandable versus being this mysterious word called business strategy. Uh, so I've really enjoyed that, and I would highly recommend that to anybody who's trying to figure out how an entrepreneur thinks and how they should be thinking. Because if you research Patrick Matt David, I mean, the guy has grown from zero to a significant amount of net worth, spun a bunch of companies, changed the lives of so many people. Really, really good uh, mentor for me. Uh, and then I really have spent a lot of time researching and exploring the mindset and behaviors of business giants and professional athletes. I think there's so much crossover between mm. how the really good athletes think and behave that can be translated into the business world to make you the best entrepreneur that you possibly could be. Um, the other thing I do is uh, I also pay, honestly, to be part of masterminds. Um, so internally within Provoke, I run a mastermind, um, but I also find that I need to be a part of mastermind. And so currently the one I'm in is uh, run by Tim Grover, the personal coach to Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. And uh, the attendees there are virtually all entrepreneurs. And I've just gained so many insights and aha moments spending two hours a week listening and talking to these individuals where, you know, somebody was running a restaurant. And I never thought there would be crossover between restaurant and a technology services company. But like the mm -hmm. problems he's solving, the problems that he's encountering, pretty similar. Uh, the approaches might be different to solve those problems, right. but they also share a lot of commonality. That's so I, I would just suggest like continue to invest in yourself. I think a lot of times we get hung up with, you know, we'll gladly spend $1,400 for an iPhone, but the idea of spending $1,000 to be a part of a mastermind where you can learn from other people is suddenly a, you know, a major cost consideration. Um, and I, I just, I really believe in spending the time and the money to continually improve yourself. I agree. And it, you have to in your role to stay ahead. Absolutely. You're going to be leading the future and to be understanding the future. You got to be really working on yourself. So let's talk about the future. Andy, great. Describe your vision for the future of your firm. Yeah. So, you know, as as I said, today, we basically help build software to help people solve their current business and technology needs. Uh, my vision is to really actually help organizations, both big and small, bring their next big disruptive idea to the marketplace quickly and effectively. Like what if that next Netflix, Amazon, Google or Salesforce.com was out there, but the idea is some, from someone who doesn't have the know-how on taking an idea to product and then to the market. What if we provoke could be that catalyst to help that person take that shot? Like, wouldn't that be great? What if that idea never came to market because they just simply didn't know how to? Like, we think that'd be a shame. So we really want to be known as the people who could take ideas and help execute and refine those ideas, execute, and then bring them to the market. On the flip side, we have lots of large organizations who are really finally starting to realize their competition isn't each other. Like, you know, take banking. Chase will traditionally think of Wells Fargo and Bank of America as their competitors. It's not really their competitors. Their competitors are the three to five people that you've never heard of sitting in a garage drinking beer, having pizza on their phone going, man, like this isn't being, this isn't really good. This functionality is missing. And they go and build a little startup and they disrupt you. So more and more companies I'm finding are trying to get into this innovation and disruption game. And we have that personal hands-on experience of helping launch startup companies. We've got two in market already taking in annual recurring revenue and growing. We've been the outsourced product engineering partner for a number of stealth startups at the moment. 
and I'm like so excited. I wish I could tell you what these companies are doing, but obviously we can't. Um, I, it's so exciting to like be a part of this whole motion of disrupting and innovating for the market. And so when you go with the brand name firms, like how many have actually been entrepreneurs and lived through the pain and have the battle scars of actually launching disruption into the marketplace? Like very few. So if you're a large enterprise, I think we're the best partner to work with because we've done it. We're doing it and we're going to continue to do this and make this the core mission of Provoke. And so we really just want to really focus on how do we make sure that next big idea gets into the marketplace as quickly as we possibly can. That's great. If someone would like to learn more about Provoke or maybe connect with you on LinkedIn, yeah. how do they how do they do that, Andy? So best way to do that, finding me on LinkedIn is really easy. Just type in Andy Lynn, L-I-N, Provoke. And uh, pretty sure there's only one Andy Lynn at Provoke. Um, so that would be me. And so that's one way to connect with me. And uh, I'd love for everybody to come to our website, www.provokesolutions.com. And there's a contact page and you can contact a number of people from there. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed our time together. And I want to thank you for giving of your time today to be on the program, Andy. Rick, it was really fun. Thank you for having me. And uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. And I'd like to thank the audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Andy's episode was episode number 1,392 in our catalog. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you'd like to tell your story, then connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Rick Franzi, R-I-C-F-R-A-N-Z-I, or visit my website of the same name. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Mm -hmm.